0: Praise the Lord. Amen. This is the last Sunday of 2015. I pray that each of you had a very enjoyable and blessed Christmas, regardless of your circumstances. I pray that you learned some aspect of it to be joyful about and I'm thankful that you're here and of all the places you could have chosen to be this morning, that you chose to worship with God's people at Win Baptist Church, we're thankful that you chose to come and be a part of this service. Our purpose in gathering today is to worship the Lord. Our purpose in gathering every Sunday is to worship the Lord, to hear His voice, and, uh, and so this is that part of the service we dedicate to His Word, and we want to be attentive to what God is saying to us through the Scripture. Uh, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at one more Christmas story, infancy narrative, one more piece of the, the gospel where we learn about Jesus and what happened when He was young. Uh, there are other parts that we have not studied this year. Uh, the presentation of Jesus in the temple, where he encountered Simeon and Anna and the wonderful songs that they sang in Luke. Um, later on, we read a story in Luke chapter 2 about Jesus in the temple. So there's all kinds of stories that often are not given a lot of attention at Christmas time. And, uh But when we come to this story, this is probably the one left out the most often. And it's about the flight to Egypt when Joseph and Mary were forced because of imminent threat from Herod to leave uh, Israel and to go to Judah. So we're going to be reading Matthew 2 verses 13 through 23 in just a moment. The title of this morning's message is How to Live in a War Zone. How to Live in a War Zone. Millions of people are living in war zones around the world today. And you and I are well aware of the imminent threats to our culture to our way of life that are posed to us by people who are absolutely dedicated their whole life to destroying American culture, American society, the West. And we understand that threat, something of that threat. Um, We understand that there are threats to our homes and our lives that occur even in the places where we live. I read a statistic the other day, my grandfather turned 100 this year, uh, that in 1915, the year he was born, that there were only 235 murders in the entire United States. Uh, you know, I don't think that there, there's a city that could say that. <laughs> you know, many of them count a murder a day. And so we're, we're alert to the fact that there are dangers that are posed to us physically that threaten our lives, our, our way of life, and our homes, and our families. Uh, we're well aware that there are people suffering in war zones today. Uh, for example, one in eight children born on the planet today are born in a place of great conflict, in a place of great crisis. And when we come to this story and we read about the Lord Jesus being born into a place where his life was threatened, he is very much like one of those children born today in terms of the threat to his life. But what you and I need to realize is that we may be somewhat conscious of the physical threats that are posed towards us. There's a spiritual threat that you and I face every moment of every day. That there's a world that you cannot see, that you and I cannot see, that dramatically affects the world that we do see. You and I tend to see physical things occur, bad attitudes, uh, crime, uh, manifestations of, of sin and, and corruption in our world or in our society. Even sometimes in the church where you have people who claim to know Christ and they don't act at it, like it at all. And we see all kinds of things happening in the world. And, and those of us who've lived long enough, we can look back to a time where we just don't, doesn't seem like we remember that much of those kinds of things happening. The world was a different place, not necessarily free from sin or a better place, but we didn't see some of the things that we seem to experience now. And so we need to recognize that there's a spiritual threat that, that is aimed at your life and it's aimed at your home, it's aimed at your school, at your town, at your community, it's aimed at your church. And, and we need to be prepared, and we need to be spiritually responsive in such a way that we are living in a war zone, not just with our head, but fully recognizing it with our heart. Joseph was a man who did that. And so this story that we're going to read is about their flight to Egypt, but I want you to focus on Joseph and what he does and how he responds to living in a spiritual war zone. I'm beginning in verse 13. Matthew chapter 2 verse 13. And now when they had departed, it's referring to the wise men. They were warned in a dream they shouldn't go back to Herod, and so they went home a different way. When they had departed, behold an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, "Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him." When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. with me father thank you for your word written for our benefit that we might know you that we might grow to become more like you that we might become a people who reflect you to a watching world we pray that you bless the reading of your word and speak to our hearts in Jesus name we pray amen Joseph is an illustration for you and me, because he got Mary and Jesus out of town in time. He he rescued them, got them out of harm's way, and because of him, we can learn some things about how to live in a war zone, a spiritual war zone. What can I learn from Joseph about living in a war zone? Number one, I need to maintain the highest level of spiritual alertness. The highest level of spiritual alertness. In verse 13, the very first verse we read, it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And so Herod is about to attack Bethlehem. He's going to kill all the babies, and Jesus would have been a casualty of that massacre if two things had not happened. First, if God had not revealed what was happening to Joseph in a dream. But secondly, if Joseph had not been paying attention. If he had disregarded what God was saying to him. If he had not been alert to what God was doing around him. If he had just blown it off and thought, well, that just was a piece of ham I had last night. That wasn't a dream from God. You know, if he'd just blown it off. The story would have ended differently. Security personnel, law enforcement officers, people who are responsible for protecting the lives of others, learn about situational awareness as part of their training. They monitor their environment. They they scan for threats. To help learn that process, there was an officer named Jeff Cooper that developed a color-coded scheme for identifying the level of alertness Situational awareness that a person has, and it looks like something like this on the screen. A level white, if somebody's in that level of alertness, they are unprepared and unready to take action. Is that where you are, spiritually? The level yellow, prepared, alert, and relaxed, good situational awareness. And a lot of trainers suggest that that's where we ought to live. We ought to be paying attention. We ought to notice Things that are going on around us, not get lost in our iPhone or whatever. You know, we ought to be paying attention to what's going on. Level orange, alert to probable danger, ready to take action. Uh, You notice something that just doesn't look right, Uh, something that um, ought to be investigated. You're not necessarily going to action, you're just paying attention and you notice something specific and so you're at level orange. Level red, action mode, you're focused on a specific emergency or a threat. Black. Is, is you lock up. It's, you go from white to black. I mean, you just jump immediately to a circumstance where you're, you're panicked, and you can't act. You're frozen, and you're just like totally unprepared and often a victim of what's taking place. Where would you rank yourself if you were thinking of your life where you are in terms of spiritual alertness? Spiritual alertness. One of my mentors in ministry was a man named Bob Tremaine. I've talked about him before. For years, he worked in ministry in inner city, uh, New England and Massachusetts and Worcester, and then later in Miami and then later in Los Angeles where he and I worked together. And Bob had worked in the urban setting for so long, he had um, an uncanny capacity to recognize trouble from afar. I mean, he could just recognize it. And, um, and I used to pick at him that he was always at level orange uh, because he saw threats everywhere. I had another friend one time who was a federal parole officer and, um, and he, he would see people in the store. He would see people driving down the road. He would see people occasionally show up at church and he was at level orange and almost at red because he knew so much about those individuals. And, um, and you and I, through our reading of the scripture, And through our approach to God, our relationship to God, by taking that relationship seriously, you and I should live in such a way that we are spiritually alert to the threats that are coming at us from a world that you and I cannot see. And we should be paying attention. The enemy is influencing the world around us. There are three imminent spiritual threats, the Bible tells us, that affect your life. And you can just jot this down in the margin if you're taking notes. But the first three verses of Ephesians 2, I'm not going to read it, You can go back and read it another time, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, speaks of the world. The world is a system of values that are designed to cause you to think of your life without reference to God, to make decisions without reference to God. The world is a a way of thinking uh, about God that that minimizes his presence in your world, uh, relegates him to a place of little or no influence, where there's really nothing he can do, and puts all the responsibility for your life on you, the world. Ephesians 2 also speaks of the flesh, and, it, and the flesh is a set of sinful desires that you inherited generation after generation after generation. It's part of what we used to call original sin, and the flesh is that set of desires inside of you that wants to do exactly the opposite of what the Spirit of God would lead you to do, and so the flesh is always pulling at you, and when a person becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in them. There's always a tension between the Spirit and what He is leading you to do and this downward pull of the flesh and what those desires want you to do. And then there's the devil. The devil is a supernatural being who leads an entire army of supernatural beings, an organization that is designed and targeting um, your life for destruction. And that's his sole purpose is to destroy you, to keep you from becoming a person who might reflect the glory of God by the way that you live, the world, the flesh, and the devil. 1 John five nineteen says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And so the entire planet, the things that you and I see taking place, serial killing, murders, wars, uh, uh, economic things where people are suffering in poverty, all those kinds of things are manifestations Visible ways of recognizing a deeper spiritual conflict that wants to destroy humanity. And the enemy will lull you and I into a false sense of security if he can. He'll tell you that you don't need to pray today. Nothing important's going to happen today. So you don't need to pray. You don't need to read the word today. There's, it's not doing you much good yesterday. So you really don't need to read it today. And, and will lull you into thinking that you don't need to walk in the Spirit, either. Uh, that, that your day before you is of such a, a day that it's ordinary, that there's nothing particularly special planned, there's nothing extraordinary about the day, so why do I need to walk in the Spirit? Why do I need to walk with Him? But do you know this about your life, that you're living in a spiritual war zone, that it is absolutely essential that you remain spiritually alert, that He is there, He is watching over us he is prepared to speak to you and me about those critical defining moments that are on the way in your life for 2016 he is ready are you secondly what can I learn about Joseph about living in a war zone I need to stay alert secondly that I am spiritually responsible to protect and provide for the people God has placed in my life spiritually responsible to protect and provide for the people God has placed in my life. The last part of verse 13 is really telling. It says, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. All of this is going into motion because of what Herod plans to do. Now remember, most of the visible political social events that you and I see that we, we believe are destructive threats to our lives and to our way of life are often manifestations of a spiritual conflict. In John 8:44, Jesus said that Satan is a liar and a murderer, from the beginning. and John 10, 10, he calls him a thief and says he's come for nothing but to steal and to uh, deceive and to destroy. And that that's his plan. That's his motivation. Satan's not only targeting you, though, but everyone near you. He's targeting the people that you love, the people that you care for. He's targeting your family. He's targeting your friends. Now, Joseph carried a deep sense of responsibility for his family you know because we believe that that there are those in our church for example fathers grandfathers spiritual leadership descends to a single mom uncles aunts there are a lot of different places where you can fit into a family scheme and have responsibility but you also have a sense, you should have a sense of ownership for the people that you know that don't know Christ. And you may be the only person that they have a connection to that could possibly share the gospel with them. Someone at work, someone who just casually crosses your path every week. Someone that you may not know all that well, but you may be that connection. You may be that, that particular individual. In this moment, what I want you to see is that in this very moment, Joseph's walk with God was the only thing that stood between him, between Herod and Jesus. The only thing that stood between Herod and Jesus was Joseph's walk with God. That's all. If he was a different kind of man, this would have ended very differently. He owned responsibility for it. And if i don't own some measure of responsibility for the spiritual well-being of the people around me the people that i feel responsibility for the people that god has put into my life the new testament word for that is oikos it means household but it doesn't refer just to your physical family it refers to all the people in your world the people that you work around the people that work for you the people you work with the people you work under it refers to all of those physical relational connections in your world joseph felt that responsibility and what if your walk with God is the only thing that's going to make a difference for one of those individuals this year, your walk with God? How critical is it that you are spiritually alert and owning that responsibility for yourself? I believe that when I fail, that when I think that what I do, that what I do in private doesn't matter, as a dad, as a husband, that there are consequences to that. That people suffer when I go off watch. That people are hurt. That people are damaged. And I need to care about that. When trouble comes and everybody's going to experience trouble, I don't want to be the weak link. Do you? I don't want to be the weak link. Do you? Do you? What can I learn from Joseph about living in a war zone? First, I need to stay alert. I mean, he was paying attention. He knew the consequences for not paying attention. Number two, I need to own responsibility for spiritual protection of people around me. But number three, I also can learn from him that I cannot procrastinate when it comes to obeying what God is saying to me. I cannot procrastinate when it comes to obeying God what God is saying to me if he speaks to me I can't say well someday someday I'll do that that's a great idea I'll write that down I'll do that sometime I'll uh that's a great verse that that says something very true I'm going to memorize that verse but but there's a time where we can't just do those kinds of things we got to do something we got to act we got to go into motion Matthew chapter 2, verse 14, it says, When he arose, this is after the dream, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Verse 16, it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. I mean, he lost it, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts for two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. He left. Joseph left right away that night. He got up. He knew there was a danger. He knew there was a problem. He didn't waste any time. He got up right then, and he went into motion. Evil's in motion. We need to get in motion. Bethlehem was only five miles away. From Herod, there wasn't a lot of time to sit around and think about what needed to happen next. What if he had waited? Procrastination is deadly. Spiritually, procrastination is deadly. Delayed obedience is disobedience, and the consequences can be devastating. Knowing, knowing that I should be praying for my son or my grandson my daughter my granddaughter knowing that i should be praying for my grandfather knowing that there's a stirring or prompting in my heart to call someone who doesn't know christ to to send a note to someone to spend time with someone these things happen to you and to me as we know christ we walk with him we have those impulses we have those that sense of responsibility we have a sense of oughtness that i ought to pray i ought to speak to i ought to engage someone what I'm saying to you this morning is that when you recognize that that is what is happening that you need to act immediately that you and I live in a place where we can't afford the luxury of saying I'll just do it someday. Someday I'll get serious. There are dads that know they should be spiritual leaders and they're saying someday I'll get serious and they're not getting serious. It's not happening. The child is not a toddler anymore. Now he's a, in elementary school. He's not in elementary school anymore. She's now in high school, not in high school anymore. Now he's in college and the child grows. And then that, that moment of opportunity, it passes. And we believe that those, those moments are so critical, so important, that we want to encourage you. As a church, we want to reinforce everything that God is saying to you. And we want to help you in that battle. That's one of the reasons why on January 10th, we're going to have a one-day focus, win at home, We're talking about how to fight for your family. We're talking about how to win at home and and all of our Bible study groups on that particular day. And we've got invitation cards on the platform here and at the welcome desk. And I would encourage you to take the blanks out of that write an invitation to somebody. Do you know how many marriages are crumbling around you, crumbling in the church? How many people are in distress? They need encouragement. They need someone to come alongside them, pray with them and say, I'll support you, I'll help you. And one of the ways I want to do that is invite you to come with me. Study God's Word with me. God has something to say about what's happening to you. There is a way forward for you. Someday, we say, Joseph didn't wait. Joseph didn't wait. Neither should we. Number four, what can I learn from Joseph about living in a war zone? I need to stay alert. I need to own responsibility for the ones that God's put in my world around me spiritually. I need to take action and not procrastinate. But the fourth thing is this that I can learn from Joseph, and that's this, that I am part of God's plan to change the world and defeat the evil one. Joseph believed that. And it's true of every Christian here. You are part of something grand in this conflict. We are not just taking, It may seem to you and me that we're taking three steps forward, two steps back. That's our experience. But you need to know that there's nothing ahead for every believer except victory. There's nothing that awaits us except victory. That ultimately everything that was taken from us will be restored in a much greater and grander way. That every loss that we ever endured and we chose yet to continue to walk with God That every loss that we ever endured will be restored in a way that boggles the imagination. That's the only way you can explain the biblical teaching that every tear could possibly be wiped away. And all that lies ahead for you and me is victory. As Matthew tells the story, he links it to prophecy in three specific places. In verse 15, he says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord to the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. He's quoting Hosea 11.1. And it's prophesying, he says, Matthew, that it's prophesying this incident where Jesus would go to live for a time in Egypt. In verses 17 and 18, it says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. And he's prophesying the grief over the murders of the babies that was going to take place. Now, Ramah and Jeremiah... Uh, Rama was the the gathering point where all the exiles were gathered together by the Babylonians when they forced the exodus out of Israel and they were taken into captivity. And the grief by the mothers of Israel over that incident, he is describing as a way of uh, picturing what is happening in this incident in the life of Jesus. The sorrow. Matthew 2.23, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken to, by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Nazareth uh, means a little sprout or a little sprig or a young plant and um, just a little nowhere thing, a nothing place. And it's saying that Jesus is going to be from a little small town, nowhere, no place. You know, just a nothing. Nobody had any respect for Nazareth. And, um, and it's prophesying the move to Nazareth. The point is this. All of this was anticipated. And God had a plan. Evil was in motion. Evil is always in motion. The conflict that is swirling around you at this very moment is an ancient conflict. But just as ancient as the conflict is the plan that God had in motion to rescue Jesus out of Bethlehem and take him to Egypt. Sending wise men with expensive gifts so that they could go and live in a foreign country and afford the journey. Uh, Providing a dream for Joseph and a man like Joseph who would act on what God was saying and protect his family and they evacuated to Egypt. Uh, Another dream to bring them back home. All of this was part of a plan. And what you need to understand is that plan ultimately ultimately leads to a victory even in the face of apparent loss. There was great suffering in Bethlehem after Jesus left, but even their losses were not outside of God's purpose and His plan. God is not the author of evil. Everything in Scripture tells us that He is opposing evil. In Galatians 1, verse 4, it says of Jesus, that he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Not create the present evil age, but deliver us from that present evil age. One of the great problems in modern philosophy and people that look at pain and suffering is they try to lay everything at God's feet. They completely ignore the fact that there's a spiritual conflict, that there is a literal devil and there are unseen forces that are at work. They completely leave out sometimes even a discussion of sin that evil people with a free will are going to do evil things, and that God in His patience and His love somehow comprehends that, and in sending Christ has a plan that's unfolding that can result in changed lives, that can result in people living in a way that is astounding in the face of a war zone. So even when it looks like good is being lost in a tsunami of evil, if you're going to live in a war zone, you must believe that God has a plan to change the world and defeat the evil one. God wins. Don't lose heart. No matter what you have done, no matter what you see as you look back over the course of your life up to this moment, no matter what you recognize as something maybe you got right or something you didn't get right, doesn't matter. God has a plan. And he can redeem your life from this moment forward. He can set you free from the bondage of flesh. He can teach you and shine a light where you've imbibed deeply on all the world's values and what it says you need to do to be successful and everything you need to do to be right and to be good and to be whatever you need to be in the world to be happy. He gives you his word and he helps you clear out all the fog. And helps you see the truth and helps you discover what real joy is he helps you begin to recognize that there is an enemy an evil one at work and no matter what happens good or bad God has a way of folding that into a grander plan that ultimately results in your victory Romans chapter 8 verse 28 probably the most common verse quoted in the face of that it says and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose God is working in everything that happens to extract good from it. I don't understand that, but it's a glorious, glorious truth. Now, living in a war zone, how do you and and I respond to that truth? Joseph's a model for us, but how do we respond to that truth? You know, I've been thinking since the beginning of service who I was going to get up here this morning, and I think I'm, I'm going to ask Jason if you would and your girls to come up here. If you would come up here with your girls, this would be good. Everybody say hi to Jason. How are you, brother? Here's what I want you to do. Jason, I want you to stand right here by the pulpit. And I want you to face that way, okay? Girls, I want you to line up behind your dad. Line up behind your dad, okay? Now, do you all know what follow the leader is? You all know what follow the leader is? I don't want you to go off the platform, Jason. Girls, do you know how to play follow the leader? You do everything your dad does. You got that? Everything your dad does. All right, dad. That's good. How can you follow him now? Boy, he he made it difficult, didn't he? All right, watch what he's doing. All right, give Jason and the girls a big hand. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Dad. Everything Dad did, the girls did. Now, they were doing it on purpose, and it was a game. But, you know, the real solution to living your life in a war zone is exactly that. It's exactly that. It's you as a spiritually responsible, alert person, following your Heavenly Father each day. And each moment of that day, following Him. What is He doing? What is He about? What is He saying in this moment? I'm in this conversation with this person. What, is, what, is, what do I need to do? What do I need to say? How do I need to respond? Promptings come. Intuitive insights come. All these things come as part of the joy of just following Him. And as as you and I follow him, we are able to live life in a very dark place and shine very brightly as a consequence. And I believe that that's what God has called us to. This is what Joseph was doing. He stayed alert. The girls had to stay alert following their dad. He took his place of responsibility for those around him. Well, Jason was certainly doing that by leading the girls. But uh, but those girls, if they were older, they have friends. uh, They have other family members. They have other people they're connected to. And as they follow the leader... And, uh, and he leads and he guides. He leads them into uh, things to do for them. He obeyed immediately. Uh, whatever dad did, the girls did immediately. Um, he believed God and had a plan. Joseph believed that there were no accidents taking place in his life. There was nothing that was out of control about his life, that God is on his throne, and that there is great mystery to how a sovereign God can deal with the world of People doing what they want to do. But he believed that God had a plan, that God was going to ultimately accomplish that plan. Here's the bottom line the bottom line in a war zone, it is absolutely essential to follow the leader. In a war zone, it is absolutely essential to follow the leader. Now, if you're on a picnic, you don't have to worry about the leader. But if you're having a picnic in the middle of the rack, you better pay attention to what the leader saying. <laughs> And i'm afraid too much of the time in church we're drinking tea and we're having a fellowship in the middle of a war zone are you following the leader are you following the leader if you're here this morning you have never trusted jesus christ as your lord and savior i want to invite you to follow the leader the baby born in bethlehem became the savior who died for you on the cross and dying on that cross he took away everything in your life that separated you from the father your sin your offenses. He took even the power of sin and crushed it at the cross. He took your rebellion and he crushed it at the cross. And the Bible says that if you'll come and put your faith in Christ, trust him. That he'll not only forgive your sins, but he'll come into your life and give you the power to overcome those sins and to live a new life. In just a moment we're going to stand and sing. And I want to invite you whether you're in the balcony or in the pews to come and to put your trust in Christ this morning. Start off the new year with a whole new life. Seriously. Some of you are struggling at home. You're struggling in your marriage. You're struggling in a relationship. And you know that you can't do it on your own. And you need help and you need God to come and to teach you and to speak to you and to guide you. And this morning, I just invite you to pray. You can do it right there in the pew. And just bow your head and say, oh God, I am surrendering this situation to you. I'm giving you the control of my life. I'm surrendering to you the, uh, the driver's seat. You are now head of the board. I'm putting you in charge. And I need you, Almighty God, to lead me and guide me through this situation, through this relationship. Whether you're struggling with a marriage or struggling in a relationship with a family member or a friend, God has a way for you through that situation. Would you pray with me and then respond as God leads you? Father, thank you for your word Thank you for the man, Joseph. Lord, I want to be like him. And thank you for the way that you're speaking to each person in this room this very moment. We pray, Father, that you would lead us to respond to you. That those of us who are being prompted right now to act would not put it off we would say yes and do what you're leading us to do. For we pray this in Jesus' name.